Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayholt LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Building Insight. I'm Catherine Thornton, and today I'm here with Andrew Salvador, and we're talking about working with construction lien masters in Toronto. Now, construction lien masters operate a special practice designated for construction-related disputes. Before we get into our specific experiences in construction lien court, we would like to point out a few valuable resources that we considered while preparing this podcast. First, we took a look at practice directions provided by masters in master's court. Now, unfortunately, these directions are not always widely circulated. We also took a look at Duncan Glayholt's conduct of a lien action. And finally, some key takeaways from our attendance at An Evening with the Masters. For those of you who are not aware, An Evening with the Masters is an Ontario Bar Association event that generally occurs once per year around November. There's no better way to get an update on the key issues and practice directions than getting them directly from the source at these events. We've broken up the podcast into two sections. The first section deals with practice notes when attending standard ex parte motions, such as vacating or discharging liens. And the second section deals with key considerations when attending your first pretrial conference. One of the most recent changes is masters are now referred to as your honor, not master. So say we had Master Salvador here, You could refer to him as Master Salvador, but you couldn't generally call him Master. You'd have to call him Your Honor. That's a little tough to get used to there. Yeah, it's a big change for a lot of people. It was actually introduced on December 7th of 2018, so pretty recently. Did you have any experience in court with this? Yeah, I have. Um, I've been referring to Masters as Your Honor now, following the practice directions, but I did notice that some people are not up to speed with those practice directions. They're not getting thrown out of ex parte court or anything, um, but they're still referring to masters generally as master. The masters don't seem to mind. I think they understand that it takes a while to transition over, um, but it's interesting to know. Yeah, very good. Another tip that's, I guess, not so recent, but just a generally good practice direction is knowing your materials well and making things easy for the masters. That entails knowing where things are in your materials, and in general, the easier you can make things for the master, the better. Yeah, you certainly don't want the master to have to flip through everything and struggle to find things. If they ask for, say, where's the lien, you want to be able to tell them it's at tab 2F. Exactly what tab to go to, uh, exactly where everything is in your materials. You don't want them flipping through a bunch of materials when they got a courtroom full of other lawyers that are antsy waiting to get their matter heard. So you got to be efficient and ready for any questions the master may ask. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I do often before ex parte court is I have a little cheat sheet for myself um, with important dates, kind of what went on in the project, any questions I might anticipate, and then the answers are right there in front of me for whatever they might ask. Yeah, that's a great idea, and it's a great practice tip for our listeners. One practice direction we got when the matter is a little bit more complicated is to provide summary sheets outside of the motion record. For example, if there's multiple liens on a single parcel register and you're there only to deal with one of them, masters in the past have requested that a summary sheet provided that shows the lien date, all the lien dates, the instrument numbers, the claimants, the amounts, the date vacated if the lien was vacated, 
and the application to delete, to delete instrument number. The idea is that with this information, a master can quickly review all liens instead of having to flip back and forth through the motion record for each one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Andrew, for them to have a quick reference to get a real picture of the project. There's an important tip that we learned at evening with the masters to do with vacating. If you're vacating a lien, you must bring proof of the date of the contract. This is because of the new Construction Act. If the matter is governed by the Construction Lien Act, according to the transition provisions, then to vacate, the party must post security for costs in the amount of 25% of the lien to a maximum of $50,000. If it's governed by the new Construction Act, the party must post 25% of the lien to a maximum of $250,000. That's a substantial increase for security for costs. And courts, of course, want to know which act you fall under to ensure that the proper amount of security for costs are being posted. This change in the legislation only really affects liens that are more than $200,000, since only when it exceeds $200,000 will more security for costs be required under the new act. Now, I can say that all the times I have attended ex parte court to vacate liens since the new act has come into effect, I have been asked for proof of the date of the contract. So that's interesting. Even if you have a lien under $200,000, they're not concerned that there will be no effective change. Yeah, that's a good point, Andrew. Um, I think most of the liens I've dealt with in the past a while have been over 200000 um, But in any event, maybe they just want to see which act uh, the matter falls under. It's a good point. Since construction contracts are often extremely lengthy, as we know, it's not necessary to include the entire contract, but you do need the front page, the page that outlines who the parties are, and the signature page with the date. And the master will look to that date to determine which act you're falling under. Very interesting. Now, on the topic of vacating, if you're vacating by using a bond, you would want to ensure that the bonding company is licensed to do so. Under both the Old Construction Lien Act and the New Construction Act, the surety is required to be licensed under the Insurance Act in order to have a valid bond. In addition, you'd want to review the bond thoroughly. You'd want to make sure that all the numbers are correct and that it's fully signed and all the calculations have, done, have been done correctly. Last thing you want to do is go into court with a bond that has to be revised and come back another day. Yeah, that's a great point, Andrew. Really check your bond twice and maybe three times over. If there's a Schedule A mentioned in the bond, make sure that there actually is a Schedule A attached. I think that's a common error. So read it through. Make Make sure sure everything's in there. Exactly. More of a minor point, but something to keep in mind. If your property is outside of Toronto, you might run into some special issues. Your motion will likely be pushed to the end of ex parte court the Toronto properties will be allowed to go first. This isn't a hard and fast rule, but it's a general practice that some of the masters follow. And so you should plan accordingly. Sometimes ex parte court is too busy and the master may not get to your motion if it's out of Toronto, um, especially if they have a trial or another commitment. You can seek leave to have the matter heard in Toronto if the property is outside of Toronto, but it's not guaranteed you might run into some jurisdictional issues. For example, an ex parte motion to discharge a lien because the lien is expired should be brought in the jurisdiction that that property is in. That's the usual practice, although I understand that there are some exceptions. 
For example, if the court in the jurisdiction cannot hear the matter until months later, for example, in Newmarket, there's no ex parte court, so your court date might be months later, then a Toronto court may hear the motion. Yeah, and in my experience, it does a little bit depend on what master you have. Um, Some of them are more comfortable with reviewing matters outside of Toronto, and they don't prioritize as much as others. So... In general, I think the key takeaway here is to plan accordingly. Know that if your matter is outside of Toronto, there is a chance that you A, may not be heard that day or will be pushed to the end of the list. Now, on the point of considering whether or not your motion will be heard the day you bring it, uh, there's one other aspect that I'd like to raise. Um, If you intend on bringing more than three motions, you require a special appointment in Toronto. Um, this can be scheduled by contacting the trial coordinator's office ahead of time. But keep in mind that when, when scheduling special appointments, the master's time is very limited. You would want to ensure that you have all your ma- motion materials finalized before booking your motion so that there's no risk of you having to reschedule. We're now going to talk about the first pre-trial conference. After referring a matter to a construction lead master in Toronto, You'll need to bring a motion to schedule a date for the first pretrial conference. Now, a long-standing practice is that the master in Toronto will assemble all the council and parties, excluding witnesses and evidence, on the first return date of the notice of trial to discuss practical management of all the substantive disputes and of all the procedural matters required prior to an evidentiary hearing on the merits. Now, a little side parade here. It is important to note that The first lien trial is also the first day of trial of the lien action. This is particularly important as it is an often ignored and forgotten point by solicitors when preparing a Rule 49 offer to settle. The standard wording might say that the offer is good until five minutes into a trial and what you'd want to make sure is that you consider that the first pre-trial conference is technically a trial. Yeah, that's a great point, Andrew. Thanks for that. Now, more recently, we've seen large gaps between the motion to schedule the first pre-trial conference and the actual conference date. For example, in a matter that I was recently uh, involved with and I referred to a construction master, we are waiting 10 months to have the first pre-trial conference. What the masters have done um, to account for this large time delay is add schedules to uh, the first pre-trial a conference endorsement, stating that exchange of Scott schedules, documentary productions, and complete pleadings are required prior to that first pretrial conference date. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Andrew. Ten months is a long time, and it's a long time to get a lot done as well. So that's right. You, yeah. you can get things going before um, you know these are the items added to the schedule one. Uh, of the pretrial conference endorsement is listing things that generally need to be done in every single construction matter um, in order to resolve the dispute. And I, I guess there's even a chance that the matter will settle based on the parties doing this work and that pretrial uh, conference date may actually get vacated. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, when we finally get to the first pretrial, if it happens, you'll have to bring certain materials with you. First, a pleadings brief, which includes all the pleadings from the main action as well as any pleadings from subcontractor actions. And second, a brief of documents with all the documents you intend to rely on at the pretrial. 
Thank you for providing that, Catherine, and uh, thank you to all our listeners for listening to this edition of Building Insight. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.